This month we're talking about love, um, and you might wonder, you know, what does love have to do with a breakthrough? What does love have to do with me, you know, my life turning towards the blessing zone rather than towards the yesterday zone where it wasn't blessed? And so we're going to be chatting about that today. I'd like to cover a little bit of ground with you. I'm going to, because you know, Pastor Alex, when he was here the first week of the month, really talked about this huge confusion that we have in our culture that deals with this word love. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time. I feel like it's necessary. Um, if you can get what we get tonight, it is going to transform your life. It's that important because the primary confusion that we have when it comes to this concept of love, if we can get beyond that confusion, and at least I can know that I am going to be able to judge myself, right, which is going to be very important in the journey, but then I'm going to be able to see, okay, if stuff's not working the way it's supposed to be working in my life, I know that it's going to be a factor of faith, it's going to be a factor of hope, or it's going to be a factor of love, or some component of the three. If we don't understand properly what this love thing is, then we're going to think we're doing it right when we're not actually doing it right. And so what I'd like to do is, if I could, take a little bit of time to summarize what Pastor Alex said the first week, in case you weren't here, but also build a little bit on it so I can drive a very particular point home. The Bible says, faith worketh by love, and faith is the substance of things hoped for. So my expectation is the blueprint that faith, the engine of this world, goes and produces in my life. The, 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 the fuel inside of that engine of faith is love. That means, cool if you have a motorcycle, really cool if it's a fast motorcycle, but if there's no gas in the tank, it doesn't really matter whether you have a motorcycle or not. It ain't going anywhere. What the problem is, for the most part, is that when it comes to this concept of love, we kind of talk about it in a, yeah, 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 that would be nice. But we have to be able to tear it apart, understand exactly what it is, so that we can begin the troubleshooting process in our own lives. As we troubleshoot and we can fix some of these issues that are related to this concept of love, we're going to see nuclear-powered faith taking our awesome blessing expectation and manifesting it in our lives, and it's going to do it automatically. So let's take a look at three of the Greek words that, that we would all translate into the word love in our culture. The first word is, as Pastor Alex said the first week, is the word eros, okay? Eros is hormonal love. It is the same love that a cat in your alley, ha a boy cat in the alley has for the girl cat in the alley. There is nothing special about that. What we talk about when we talk about sexual activity or the word is even bigger than that. It's a desire or an appetite. That appetite is created by the desires that we have. So we have a lust for food, we have a lust for oxygen, we have a lust for all kinds of different things. It doesn't make that bad. It is not a problem for me to lust after a woman as long as that woman is my wife, okay? 
So it can, it's a good thing. It can be used for evil, right? I could be a glutton with the, my desire for food. I could be a, you know, uh, I can have all of these different issues. The main thing about it is, is that this word eros is simply a hormonal feeling. It's just a desire. You'll notice if you stop eating sugar, you stop desiring sugar. Uh, I hear. I don't actually know that one for a fact. But... Let's go with that like the person who told me actually knows something, okay? The next one is the word phileo. Now, phileo, you might recognize from the word Philadelphia, is referring to this thing called brotherly love. Brotherly love or companionship or friendship is what this is referring to, okay? Now, in order to understand this, what we have to see, where's my other glasses? They're going to look just like the ones I have on except they're not in a very special way. Okay, so this is better for us to use in our culture to be the word like. So I like somebody based on very specific principles that govern how a human being likes another human being. Okay, what we need to, we need to understand about this is that this is a quid pro quo system. That's Latin for favor for favor. That means that if I do something for Jeremy, then I'm going to expect Jeremy to do something for me. And then as we do somethings for one another, then we become more in relationship with one another. And we grow in our friendship, in our brotherly affection one for another. This is a mutually beneficial relationship. Most of what we call love in North America is this kind of love. We have learned that this mutually beneficial kind of relationship is what we call love. The mo uh, uh, these mostly break down because uh, we always want to profit from all of our relationships. What profit is, is that I'm going to give you just a little bit less than you're going to give me. So it's going to give me a profit. Problem is, Jeremy's thinking exactly the same thing. And so what happens after a period of time when we're each cheating each other in our relationships, the relationship has come down to a place where it's just really, we know each other, but you know, that's about the end of the game, okay? It eventually drains all the strength out of the relationship. So basically, and, and also there's a human part of it that I always think I'm giving to him more than he's giving to me. So I call my 80% 120%. I call his 80% 60%. What does that tell you? That tells you in my perception, I'm giving him twice as much as he's giving me. Can you see how quickly that relationship is going to break down? Okay, that's just human. That's why the Bible talks to us about keeping score. In, in 1 Corinthians 13, don't keep score. It says you're not talking about jealousy or envy. It's not talking about self-seeking. It's talking about taking no account. It's talking about believing the best. This kind of relationship is the opposite of all that. It is jealous. It's saying I'm not getting as much as I deserve. It's saying that you could do better when you're loving me right now because I'm much more of an awesome person than you're treating me right now. <laughs> all of that can be part of my relationship because it's a quid pro quo relationship. 
It's a thing that's going to prosper or fail based on how well we think we are being honest in our relationship by giving equally to what we are getting. Humans are notorious for for creating a bad equation in that type of a relationship. And what happens is, is then we get into all these things like keeping score, like comparison, like competition. All of those things open the door to things like strife, for confusion, for covetousness, for envy, for jealousy, for all of these type of things, which are the open door for killing, stealing, and destroying that the devil is really interested in bringing into our lives. Simply because... We don't even know properly, we can't yet, we're going to have to go back through this, this ladder again, but at this stage in the matter, we don't have the ability to have relationships that are really quality relationships because of a particular problem, which we are going to discover in a minute, okay? We're always looking to give, to get, uh, we always need to be in, in, in these phileo relationships one with another, We need to be looking always to give more into the relationship than we're getting out of it. Not just give a little bit more, because remember my equation? I already think I'm doing twice as much as you're doing. So I need to be way exceeding what I think I need to be giving into the relationship, even for my perception to think think that it's being fair. I want to be able to even go beyond that so that I'm, in my perception, I'm making the relationship even better than it was before. Getting to 100%, I'm in 100 and you're in 100, all we're going to do is stay the same. We have to give more to the relationship in order for the relationship to grow. Does that make some sense? Okay. Love languages. How many of you read the book Love Languages? Gary Chapman's book. Okay. This is confusing to us because those languages are actually like languages. They are not love languages. They're teaching us how to serve another person, you know, quality time or words of affirmation or give them gifts or acts of service or, you know, say nice things about the person, whatever. Those are all tools, good tools, by which we are able to, be, to focus on my relationship with another person, either a friend or a spouse or a child or, you know, whatever, even a dog, and you do that with them, you create a stronger relationship with that other soul. And we've confused it in Christianity because we say, well, no, that's love. And I'm making a choice to love. But what you're actually doing is you're making a choice to like that person and be liked by that person. Like languages in a self-driven person, which is going to be the point we're going to make tonight, just gives me more ammunition to judge the performance of my friend. Now I really know how Jeremy is supposed to be treating me. What's up with the quality time there, dude? I texted you three times. Right? Now I'm even madder at him because I've got a better list of what he should be doing if he really was my friend. Okay? That's the problem. So even these beautiful tools that we've been given, I don't teach them a lot anymore because typically I'm trying to solve a a relationship problem and the relationship problem isn't like languages. The problem is is we haven't started walking in love yet, which is going to be the solution to the problem. Okay, this is not love. Like is not love. It is based on a give to get so that I can get to give mutually beneficial um, mechanism. 
though our world uses this business strategy. That's why we're so confused by it, because we are a capitalist kind of a world, and the capitalist world uses these tools in order to create rapport, in order to make money. We call it networking. And we teach classes on networking. And, and what are those classes for? Those classes are so that when you go into a sales environment, you know how to shuck the other person before they shuck you. Do you understand what I'm talking about? <laughs> to people who don't know God and are not filled with the Holy Spirit, which is where we got to get to, this is the highest expression that they have ever had. That's the problem. Right? They call hot dogs steak because they've never had steak. And they go around saying, this is what love is. I'm a loving person because my product really does well in the marketplace. By the way, I make a ton of money from it. But I love all of my customers because I can, you can clearly see how I'm doing great R&D and I'm having beautiful products for them to buy, which, by the way, makes me a ton of money. And we call that loving our customers. We're not loving our customers at all. We're networking them and we're using tools that they need in order for us to be, the end game is I'm going to benefit the most. I'm going to be the one making a profit. And when we judge that, now that's filtered down into the church because as the scripture says, the love has grown cold, right? They have hated the truth and love has grown cold. And that's where our culture is right now. And we, and we look at it and we're, we, we were raised in these cultures. And so we really don't have a good grip on what this actually is. They call it love, but it's just intense like. Okay, let me tell you something. Intense eros does not make phileo. Okay, just, uh, am I, am I, uh, am I a over 18 group in here? Am I an over, is it PG? Okay, on C yes, being recorded. It's G-rated. You understand what I'm talking about? Can I move on? Intense phileo does not make agape. That's what we think, right? So if you have all kinds of friends and you are the friendliest person on the planet and everybody wants to hang out with you, does not mean you have any love. Okay, that's where we make our disconnect. Okay, and we become really good because we're in social environments like this beautiful family environment that we have here and we all like each other a ton. We want to spend time with each other. We all think we're all awesome. That's great. Ain't love yet. Okay, are you with me? This system allows you to take advantage of the people you are in relationship with. Right? Dave comes to me and he says, hey, can I borrow your screwdriver? I say, perfect. Tomorrow, can I borrow your motorcycle? <laughs> that's what we do. That's, and I, that's funny, but we have to realize this is the mechanical relationship that's going on the inside because I'm doing a favor in order to get a favor. And we call it love. Typically, what we're trying to do with these relationships is meet very specific needs. I need someone to provide for me. And so if you have a lot of money, then I want to be your friend. Then when we go to lunch, I'm going to sit there with a very sad face and put sackcloth and ashes on in order for you to buy lunch for me because you have a lot of money. And I've created that relationship. Maybe I need to have somebody protect me. I know that you're packing and I need you to be packing right alongside me. So if we get in trouble, I know you know karate and taekwondo and three other Chinese words. And so you're going to be there in order to protect me. And so I want to be your friend. 
I may not want to be alone. I, I want to feel that I'm important and valued by people, so I surround myself with a whole bunch of friends because I need people to keep telling me I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm worthwhile, and I'm meaningful. That's, you understand, you've already seen a picture here. These are the things that we're doing constantly, right? I need to be identified with somebody. I need to have a group, a posse of people who are all like me telling me that if I'm okay, you're okay, you're okay, I'm okay because we are struggling in the area of identity. And then finally, if I need to go somewhere, I feel like I need to go big to build the biggest IT company in the world, then I need to have a super great HR department who is really good at motivating people in order to help me get to my dream. Do you see anything wrong with that yet? It's my, 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 me, 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 I, 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 and all of that stuff. And that's not bad, but it's, it can be bad. It can go sour fast. And that's why in our culture, we have taken this culture and everybody lives in an isolated place. So many people in our world right now do not even know the first names of the people who live next door to them. They certainly don't know the first names of the people that live down the street. You go to other places of the world, everybody knows everybody. Not just next door, am I wrong? Yes. In Europe, in some of these places, in third world countries, man, you know everybody. Yeah. The reason that we don't, we don't even want to know our neighbors is because we don't trust that they're going to be good to us, only because we already know we're not going to be good to them, <laughs> except we don't want to admit that because we've done it wrong. As long as you are in these unmet needs, as long as you recognize I have unmet needs in my life, my provision, my protection, my esteem or respect or, or reputation, my identity or my dream, anywhere in that five group of five things that I would say, I don't have everything I need in order to get there, then what happens is, is that now I'll try to satisfy those needs by taking advantages of the relationships that I have around me. Everybody say, yuck. Yeah. This does not make them bad or evil, okay? In their own right. God has a dream for you. It is going to involve other people. It is gonna cost more than you have right now. And it is gonna put you out on a limb all the time. <laughs> And so there is going to be that feeling. The problem is, if we don't have the right order for those needs to be met, I'm going to be looking to take advantage of my relationships in order to get them met, or at least start myself on the journey of getting them met. Because these things, they're not bad or evil, they are mutually beneficial and often good for productivity, right? More people, you know, many hands make light work. And they're, 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 they're profitable for the corporate good, right? If we have lots of people doing the roof, it goes faster than if we have one person doing the roof. Yes. And my logic of that is when things get better for me, they get better for everybody, right? A rising tide lifts all boats. And so if I get richer, that's going to be good for everybody because I'm going to come over to your house and I'm going to buy, so buy something from you. And when I buy something from you because I'm richer, then you're going to get richer because I have the money to buy something from you. Doesn't it make sense? Yes, it makes sense. It's just not love. And we get confused by it when we think that it is. Because what we do in our culture is everybody does what's right by them. 
That used to be the pirate's code, by the way, if you watch Pirates of the Caribbean. Our world has changed dramatically in this area. We have made a culture out of everybody do what's right by them. How many already know? That's not love. Um, yeah, I got all... Why do I make a mess like this? Okay. And this is why the Bible is talking about things like we only love those who love us. Why we're challenged by concepts like love your enemies. You don't have to do good to those people who do good to you. The Bible says even devils do that. Even sinners do that. There's nothing special about that. Wow, I'm good to my family. Oh, good, I'm glad you are. But that's not love. Right? You're supposed to be do good to those who spitefully use you. You see, when I spitefully use Jeremy, he is very unmotivated to be nice to me. If I spitefully use him, I'm actually going to terrorize the relationship. So you can see from scriptural references, this is something radically different than what we call love and what we are even judging ourselves at when I say, am I a loving person? Everybody say, oh boy. Oh boy. Now we talk about this third word and the word, I wish I had a pink one, it would be so nice, is the word agape. Now, the reason that we struggle so much with understanding this, even in the translation of the Bible, is because this word agape isn't a word that was even used in literature. It was a forgotten word. Simply because people just did not understand it. It didn't have any relevance in culture in this season of the ancient writings because of what we're about to discover. The word agape is probably best, if you have an old Bible, the old Bible uses the word charity. And it's probably better than the word love for us to use. You could also hear it translated as covenant love, but a lot of that concept of covenant is what we should talk about next, because we also don't have a whole lot of that in our culture, and we don't understand it like, we, like it would have been understood by somebody who has lived in yesteryears where the covenant relationship between families or tribes or whatever was going to be a make-it-or-break-it reality in somebody's life. If you don't have a covenant with somebody, chances are they're going to come and kill you. That's how it used to be. So people understood the concept. Charity is the best way to understand it, because it's talking about to love another person without the, the possibility of them loving you back. So if you find somebody that's, a, that's destitute and they're on the street and you would say, I gave charity to that person, what you did is you, out of your abundance, gave them $10, with, and, but you have absolutely no expectation for them to give the $10 back. They're destitute. They're going to take that $10. They're going to spend it in 15 minutes. It's going to be gone. It ain't going to be any chance you're ever going to get your money back. And you don't even expect to get it back. So the key piece of that equation is I just don't expect to get anything back. And so when I am doing these acts of love, I am forcing myself to do things in environments where there isn't a possibility for me to get something back. And I'm going to judge myself to say, so how well do I do that exactly, right? 
So most people, as you guys hear Christians say this even, I don't give people, destitute people money because they're going to use it on drugs. And I say to them, well, they like drugs. Why don't you want them to be happy? <laughs> and you think I'm making a joke. I'm not making a joke. I'm not making a joke because I'm loving that person. I'm not judging them because that's the opposite of loving them. You see how far that is from even what we call mainstream Christian culture. Now, I'm certainly not going to encourage him to go and use that money on drugs. I'm just not going to not be generous to him simply because in my mind, I've played this holier-than-thou judgmental thing window, and I've said, you don't deserve it anyways. See that? And I, I would like to stand with them. I'd like to pray with them. I'd like to tell them about Light City Church and how they can get you know, abundance flowing in there. Sure, I'd love to do that. But I'm not going to judge him up front. I'm going to be motivated by loving that person. And if that person can see the love in me, how does that end? They're going to be attracted to that love. And the love that is in me, not because of me, but because of God in me, the love that is in me is actually their answer. Because the reason they take the drugs is because they have a love problem. Do you see that? And so we've got this phileo attitude even in our charity. Matter of fact, there's a lot of phileo goes on in the churchianity expression of these things. Because a lot of times if I'm, you know, if I'm with Pastor Tommy, then I'm going to be extra generous to that person because he's going to think I'm awesome because I'm so generous. <laughs> and that would be another yuck. Right? So I'm even, as Corinthians says, though I give my body to be burned and have not love, if I give away all of my money and have not love, doesn't matter whether people come pat you on the back because you're this awesome person, it didn't do anything. Okay. When you, when you begin to then deal with removing the self, the, the what about me part of the equation, then I start my journey that it's starting to be a little bit of love. And remember, faith worketh by love. Can I tell you? Fear worketh by self. Okay? So what we're doing in this phileo stuff is we're actually creating fear if we're doing it. We start with this how most relationships start, especially nowadays. First we have sex, then we get to know each other, and then we get into a covenant. It's exactly wrong. This is, I'm sorry, I'm G-rated again. Okay, we just have to be honest about some of this because if we can't be honest about it, we're, gonna, we're not going to understand it. And we don't understand it, we're not going to be able to do it. Okay, so when we get rid of, how we get rid of self, when I can finally get above it so that all of my needs are met. My perception of my world is that I'm financially, God's taking care of me. God's t- making sure his angels protect me lest I dash a foot against a stone. He's the one who loves me and cares for me. He's the one who gives me my identity and he's the one that's gonna figure out how to get over all the hurdles that are between me and my destiny. That all comes from God. Now that's all good. We can make a p- bumper sticker out of that, but do you believe it? in your heart, when you actually come to the place where you believe those things, then I am safe. I am provided for. I don't have to put walls up between me and you to protect me from you because I don't need protection. God takes care of me. Nothing you can do, no weapon formed against me 
is going to be able to reach me. Why? Because there is a huge wall of angels between me and anything that would try to hurt me. By placing, so what we're doing then is that we are able to, once we get beyond this self issue, I'm on track. Once we get past this self issue, then we can open our hearts again. And when we open our hearts towards people, fear or hate, right? Remember the Bible says that in order to follow God, you have to hate your parents. Do you remember that? Have you used that? Has one of your children used that one on you yet? (laughs) See, hate is not hating them in a like way. So you like someone or you hate them. See how we're getting all these, these English words are not helping us here. All that Jesus is saying is, if you want to serve me, you got to serve me first. And then your parents. Right? So I'm actually hating my parents by putting somebody else ahead of them. That's all he's talking about. He's not talking about you want to go shoot your dad behind the, behind the barn. He's not talking about that. This is placing, love is placing another person's needs above your own. The only way to do this is to reduce your focus on your own needs. Otherwise, we will always have this hidden agenda. Right? Just like Corinthians, I mentioned already, when you give to the poor, you're doing it for a selfish gain. Uh, okay, so self, or what we call here the creature, just make, it's make it a little bit easier so because it isn't you. It is not the real you. It is the you that was created, that you created in or, when, you know, oh God, look at the time. So when we're born, we don't have this creature yet. And, but when we start to sin, then we get separated from God. We're still a toaster. We're just not plugged into the wall anymore. We start realizing that we are vulnerable, we are weak, and we are alone. Because we start realizing at a profound level that we're vulnerable, weak, and alone, we create an alter ego. A person who is going to be strong, who is going to be capable, and who, uh, who is going to be safe or intimidating, and somebody that is going to be able to be lovable or respectable or esteemable. And we create that best way we know how. We patented it after Clark Kent, or maybe you like, uh, you know, what's the Iron Man's name? Uh, Tony Stark, maybe you like Mother Teresa. You know, you figure out all these things, and you create this ego, this person, this creature that you present to the world as being the real you, the strong, the confident, the capable, the safe, the intimidating, the lovable, the the funny, the creative, all of these things that you put in front of other people. But this creature, this self-image also prevents you from having the real you, vulnerable, weak, and alone, from being seen by anybody and particularly from being hurt by anybody, being abused by anybody, be spitefully used, all of these things, I do that in order to prevent my real self from being seen or for me to actually give of myself in a way that is putting me or my future in harm's way. So the the creature contaminates your your God-given desire to love others causes it to be diluted and have a spiritually low octane. So it offers little power to your faith. It casts out only a tiny bit of fear and only enables you to obey the instructions of God in those areas that that you perceive as being beneficial to you. That's called cherry-picking the Bible. 
the intimacy with God stuff that we talked about last month is all about dealing with these things. You've probably already noticed that. The closer you get to God, the more he wants to deal with the creature. Why? Because the creature is in the way of everything you want. The more of these self-empowering lies, I need to protect myself, I need to uh, provide for myself, I need to make sure I'm loved and esteemed and valued, I need to make up an identity that is strong and powerful, and I need to make sure that that, thi- that, that, uh, that powerful person is able to get done the things that I'm feeling I need to get done in my life. The more of those self-empowering, self-creature-empowering lies are removed the more weakness, vulnerability, and isolation are removed. And love automatically increases. Why is that? Because the Bible tells us that the love of God is shed abroad in your heart. It's already in your heart. If you have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you, the Holy Spirit is love. And because the Holy Spirit has been shed abroad in your heart, he's going to guide you into the truth. The truth is God provides for you. The truth is God protects you. The truth is God loves you. The truth is you are the child of God. And the truth is the destiny that God has prepared for you from the beginning of time is freaking awesome. That already exists on the inside of you. The problem between your heart and out here is your soul. Your soul is where the creature lives. That I got to provide for myself, protect myself, love myself. I got to have a great identity and, and, you know, projection of myself. And I got to make sure that my life is meaningful and does something awesome for a legacy. Right? That's all soul. As the love tries to come out, it gets contaminated by the what about me question that your soul thinks the very next second. Love is the power that, that causes what we believe evidenced by what we expect is about to happen to manifest in our lives. The higher the octane of our love, the higher the octane of my manifestation, the power of my manifestation, right? There must be these things, who loves me, protects me, provides me, my identity, my future, must be turned over to God with full confidence that he is taking care of them so that my soul knows it's released from the job. Now we can wake up in the morning knowing it doesn't have to care about all those things. You show up and I think, hey, I'm bored. Can I care about you? That is love. How do you do that? One, you identify the self-sufficiency in any of those areas. That's works when I'm trying to get to figure out how to meet my own needs, protect myself, get me loved and and respected and all that. I got to find the promise of God in that area from scripture, right? Beloved, I'm with you always and all that I have is yours. There's one scripture has all three of them there. Loved by God, I'm provided, I'm protected by God and I have provision from God. Get the scripture that you need and work that thing. Mark for it. Uh, If you don't know what that means, there's tapes over there that you can get because I do not have time right now. You mark for that process until you actually believe it to be true. The more you get to believe it to be true, the more you will get these things off your mind. Get your, the creature gets you off your mind. The less self you have as a Christian, the more the love of God that is shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost becomes a manifestation. Staying filled up is simple because all of the drag-me-down emotions that are created by my relationships-gone-bad situations are all gone. 
So now that I don't feel like that in my relationships, I'm not looking for you to quid pro quo me in anything that I'm doing. Now I'm not counting, uh, the, I'm not keeping score. I'm not doing all of those things. So all the negatives that I was experiencing because I was judging you to be a lousy friend are all gone. And now I'm able to just love. My motivation now then used to be to take advantage. Now my motivation is to give advantage. I give love from my consistent and constant overflow of just having me off my mind. Okay? Now, what happens is if you start with agape, which is the key, how many of you can already see that I'm going to be a heck of a good friend to you? Even if you're coming after me to take advantage of me, that's perfect. I need people to take advantage of me because I'm just so trying to give it away. So what I do now... What I do now is when I am in my friendship relationships, I am so much more life-giving in my friendship relationships because I'm not poisoning all of them with the creature. And then, with one person in particular, that being your spouse, you're also going to end up being a heck of a good lover because when you are a lover, you're not concerned about your own needs in that moment. You're more concerned. Your appetite is actually to make the other person have a great experience with you rather than have you have a great experience with them. That's how this works. And it works simple. You just have to start by dealing with all of these creature-based needs. The fear is gone. The obedience is easy. Faith is nuclear. And the blessing is automatic. Yeah. Oh, what a wonderful world right. it would be. Say that with me. Oh, what a wonderful world. It would be. It is, matter of fact. Can we sing it to you? Because I know that I love you. And I know that if you love me too, what a wonderful world this would be. Can I tell you that's what, God's, that's what God says about our world? He said, if you'll just learn to love one another, really love one another, covenant love, I care about you. I don't even care about myself. Right? When you marry your wife or you marry your husband, you're saying when you, when you put that ring on your finger, you say, I no longer care anything about myself. All I care about now is you. And if you're lucky enough to marry someone who's saying exactly the same thing, what you're going to have is a relationship that'll take over the world. Yeah. Put your hand over your heart and say, Heavenly Father, I know, I know. Dealing, with self, dealing with self, the creature in my life, the person I created, the identity I created, is, is what is in the way as I try to love those that are around me. So Holy Spirit, I need you to help me get a revelation that God loves me. Because he loves me, he provides for me, he protects me. I know that I am a child of God. Because I am a child of God, that is my primary identity. I don't have to look strong. I don't have to be strong. I already am strong. I know that God has a destiny for me, a destiny that I am going to love because he created me with that destiny in mind. 
Holy Spirit, help me to see how these are not just church concepts. These are real. This is the truth. Help me to believe it. Because I know when I believe it, the creature dies. I no longer need my alter ego because I've realized the real me is with God. And because I am with God, I am strong. I am protected. I am provided for. I am loved. And my destiny is worth pursuing. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. How's the depression? How's the jealousy? You know, big, the big, I uh, can't call them three sisters anymore. That's now gender specific, as you know. Jealousy, envy, covetousness. We don't talk much about those things, but mm-mm-mm. Put your hand over your heart. Say, Jesus, I'm here to get set free. I'm here to figure out how to get rid of all the limitations between me and my destiny. I know my destiny is as real as my now is. God's looking at it completely finished. So I know nothing in my destiny is impossible for me. So Holy Spirit, I know your job is to guide me into the truth. The truth is there are no limitations. Your job is to show me things to come, to reveal my future in such a way that I believe it's just as real as my present. Holy Spirit, I release you. Bring understanding to me. Release my mind to see the devices of bondage, limitation, and impossible so that I can learn how to step over them easily. In Jesus' name.